Welcome to Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated with host Kristen Harper. She's here to give you those extra tips that you don't always get from other health and wellness programs. Kristen has all the bases covered and just a bit more. Now, here is your host, Kristen Harper. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Harper, radio show host. My show is Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated on voiceamerica.com, which is the largest live internet radio network in the world. And I'm really excited about today's episode. I always like to have experts on my show. And today is What is the Difference Between Trauma and PTSD? And I have a licensed clinical psychologist. Uh, Dr. Tala Joharchi, and she is located in Los Angeles, uh, California, and we will be talking about what is the difference between PTSD and trauma, also a link between attachment disruption and addiction. Attachment disruption is highly correlated with shame. Uh, We will talk about what is the attachment theory, and also if an infant is insecurely attached, what issues can arise later in life, and uh, so I will be interviewing um, the doctor for about, I'd say about 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and then I will let her go, and then at the very end, probably for like the last uh, 10 minutes, I will be giving some tips and some updates, and um, I was really um, excited to bring her on my show because her bio is really important. Impressive. She has a lot of expertise. Her education is uh, mind-blowing. And also, I've always had a, a passion for learning as much as I can about attachment theory, and she does have expertise in attachment uh, disruption. And so uh, before I bring her on, I would like to go over her bio here. So uh, Dr. Tala Joharchi is a licensed clinical psychologist in Los Angeles, uh, California, dedicated to helping her clients reach their maximum potential. Uh, She utilizes a strengths-based, person-centered approach and is committed to helping her clients live the best possible life. Uh, She has expertise and advanced training in evidence-based practices and therapeutic behavioral frameworks, including cognitive behavioral therapy, motivational interviewing, family systems, solution-focused, psychodynamic, and trauma-informed care. She has a background including working with former foster care youth, and survivors of complex trauma, as well as working with individuals, couples, and families experiencing substance disorders, love addiction, and codependency, post-traumatic stress disorder, and common co-occurring disorders such as depression, anxiety, and relational attachment difficulties, And she has earned a BA in psychology from California State University, Northridge, an MA with a specialization in chemical dependency. 
and an MA, and she also has a doctorate as well in clinical psychology from the American School of Professional Psychology, San Francisco. It is an honor to have Dr. Tala Joharchi on my radio show. Thank you. It's an honor to be a part of your show. I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's definitely an honor to have you. And uh, how are you today? I'm doing great. It's been um, a day full of um, sessions with my clients. So it's always rewarding to be able to, to you know, support others in their journey of evolvement. And um, like you mentioned, just uh, you know, supporting individuals with being able to reach their highest potential. Um, so that is what majority of my day consists of, and I am here to support your show and provide you with any um, information or information on the topics that you mentioned. Um, so I'm excited to, to be here. I appreciate that. And um, I mentioned earlier that I have a passion for learning as much as I can about attachment disruption, which I do feel affects a lot of people. And also I have a passion for learning as much as I can about uh, trauma and PTSD, and she is an expert in all of these different areas. Uh, So um, is there anything else that you'd like to mention as far as your background before we move on to talking about attachment theory? Um, I would say that, you know, you know, one thing to clarify is that in the way in which I use attachment theory in my work or in my practice is really just supporting me in conceptualizing a person's um, experience and, and knowing, you know, where maybe some vulnerabilities to their current functioning may originate um, from. So, in, in my work, I use attachment theory to really understand, you know, and support an individual in understanding perhaps their origin of their difficulties. Um, and so it's one modality or one theory in understanding almost how a person kind of comes to where they're at or how they're operating um, presently or currently. Um, so just to give a little bit of context into how I understand and how I use attachment theory, it's more to more in that respect than there is a specific technique used um, outside of perhaps maybe like a questionnaire that would help identify someone's attachment style. Uh, would you be able to let my listeners know what is attachment theory, especially for you know some of them that may not know sure. what it is? Of course, of course. So attachment theory is a um, is a modality that, or it's, it's a theory that really communicates. Or, or, or the theory is that in early in, er, in our early life, we develop attachments to our primary caregivers, and when the primary care, caregiver is able to provide the child with secure attachment, meaning they're reliable, they are meeting the child's needs on time, um, they're consistent, uh, you know, they themselves are not suffering from any kind of emotional, um, you know, any, any, any kind of emotional stressors. Um, they are able to provide secure attachment with their, with their uh, child 
which then ultimately allows that child to internalize a healthy working model of how to then attach to other people moving forward in their life. So if the attachment style almost dictates in a lot of way how we will form attachments in our life later in life. So if I had healthy attachment, secure attachment, the likelihood of me being able to securely attach to others um, in my adulthood would be increased versus if I had anxious avoidant attachment, then that would be displayed likely, or that would be what I would likely seek from an attachment uh, perspective unconsciously in relationships. I would be more attracted um, unconsciously to that type of attachment um, when it came to forming relationships in my, in my later life. And uh, just based on your expertise uh, working with clients, uh, would you say that there are many people that have attachment disruption? It's hard to say, you know, because everybody has a unique experience, right? So Mm -hmm. most of my, I would say most of the clients I work with have a, I would say between secure and anxious ambivalent attachment. Um, I don't work with a lot of people who are even avoidant attachment, but I don't have anyone that I specifically work with that has particularly like disorganized attachment. Um, so, so that would have been more with the youth that I, that I supported in, you know, I, I my former experience when I, I was working in a group home, a locked level 14 facility where we worked with foster youth who had complex trauma and PTSD and their early relationships were extremely severed um, in, in, in their, childhood, they experienced so much trauma and attachment disruption that it led to them having attachment disorders as, um, you know, adolescents. And so, um, you know, that I would say is more on the extreme side. And in my practice, I don't tend to see a lot of disorganized attachment or attachment disorders, but more so, um, you know, I, I will support someone in understanding maybe based on their early attachments, why they may be vulnerable to having some, you know, relational difficulties in their adult life based on how they internalize their, their relationships when they were smaller. So I guess like what I, what, what you and I could both go through a similar experience and have similar, a similar upbringing. Um, so two, two siblings can have the same parents and be, raised by the same people, but have two different internalized experiences of their childhood. Um, And so I would say that that plays a huge role too in how someone under, like how I would also determine if someone, um, you know, has any attachment difficulties because one person may not see that their early relationships have impacted them in that capacity but through the work that I do with them, they're able to see that there's a pattern or there is an, there's an unconscious attract, they're, they're unconsciously attracted to a particular dynamic that stems from their early attachment. Mm-hmm. And I, I was curious too, because you brought up the complex trauma. 
what, yes. what would you what what would you say the main difference between like just trauma? Because a lot of people talk about trauma and complex mm-hmm, trauma. Mm-hmm. So so the really the difference between trauma and PTSD right is is time. So so timing and and when when I say time, I mean if we're looking at the DSM, which is the diagnostic manual in which clinicians use to diagnose PTSD. There are certain, you know, there are certain um, features that have to be present or criteria that has to be present um, in order to get that diagnosis of PTSD. So, so within that, so I can speak on that, but the difference between just trauma and PTSD is timing, how long the effects of, of experiencing or witnessing or hearing about a trauma affects or lasts for that person, the negative, um, you know, the negative impacts of that and how long it lasts. So that's the defining feature between just experiencing trauma and then being diagnosed with PTSD. And that time frame is one month. So if someone is still experiencing um, any, any um, reoccurring or intrusive symptoms past one month after being exposed to that trauma, then they are, they have, they would likely be diagnosed with PTSD versus just trauma. And then trauma gets kind of, you know, when you dissect trauma, my understanding of trauma is obviously, you know, when you look at the DSM, the DSM says that you have had to have been exposed to one or more events that involve death or threat of death or an actual threat and serious injury or threat and sexual violation. So these are very big, what I would call big T traumas, right? Like these are the traumas we hear about all the time that people will often say, you know, identify I have experienced trauma because it falls under this umbrella of the big T traumas that we're all aware of. But then we have these little T traumas that we're not really aware of can be traumatic for us. And the way that I come to understand that the difference between that, um, you know, I had a wonderful uh, trauma professor uh, that taught us, uh, you know, everything that I know about trauma today. And his definition of trauma was when our illusions become disillusioned, that that alone, that experience of an illusion we held that has become disillusioned can also be very traumatic. And so those things end up falling on, like, you know, when we look at attachment um, or, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, ideas that we held about someone or something, um, you know, whether it be about another person, about the world, about, you know, um, relationships that when those illusions become disillusioned, they can produce a trauma. It can produce the same symptoms trauma would produce um, in that it can dysregulate us. It can cause us to have intrusive thoughts. um, You know, it can make us question ourselves and our self-concepts and our self-concepts in the world that we live in. So complex trauma is when we have several big T traumas and little T traumas following them or a combination of the two. So it's just 
series of traumatic events that compile against each other that create what we call complex trauma. Well, you explain that so, so well. It completely makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. And it and this is something that I try to really communicate to my clients because they don't realize, like, for example, divorce, right? You would never characterize divorce under that big umbrella of big T trauma. But for my client who's coming in to see me, that could have been the worst thing that has happened for them in their life. It could have been the catalyst or that, or that moment where their illusion of their family or their parents has become disillusioned. Right. And Mm -hmm. so when I am looking at trauma, I'm not just looking for the big T traumas. I'm also seeing, I'm also assessing to determine how my client has internalized their own experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? this is because divorce to my, to me may have been nothing. It may have been the greatest thing that ever happened to my parents. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but to, to my client, it could have been the most tragic. Mm-hmm experience for them. So um, I do really look at that uh, element of, of it too. I, and I do speak on that a lot because I think it's, it's not spoken enough that this, there are others, other events that we can internalize and still have trauma responses to um, that aren't under, that don't fall under the category of being my life being threatened or, you know, um, my safety being threatened or that I've been physically, you know, injured in any capacity. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, this is uh, really interesting. You explain that so well. And, um, you know, just like as far as your expertise in these uh, different areas, um, I'm just like really thrilled about because I just feel like there's a lot of people today that are suffering with addictions, uh, trauma, uh, attachment disruption, and I actually, yeah. and I've, I've, ta- I've talked to my listeners about this in the past, but I've actually been through the, all of those, actually. Uh, yeah. As far as, eat, I told you about the eating disorder, and I do believe that I was yeah. affected as far as attachment as well. So, uh, listeners, sure. uh, we, need to, we, we need to go to a quick break here, uh, just for a, a few minutes, and we'll be back. And I'm speaking with licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Tala Hartji. Please stay tuned, and we'll be back very soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Kristen Harper is a health and wellness speaker and founder of Perfect Health Consulting Services. She inspires people all over the world to keep healthy, happy, and motivated. Get a virtual health coaching or hair mineral analysis package at perfecthealthconsultingservices.com to help you get healthy and stay healthy. Also, go to kristenharperspeaks.com to hire Kristen Harper, a health and wellness speaker, for one of your events. Be sure to visit both of Kristen's websites, perfecthealthconsultingservices.com and k-r-i-s-t-e-n harperspeaks.com. Now is the time to take your health to the next level and become the best version of yourself. 
We're on the pulse of the world with great shows and hosts. The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel is also on Twitter. We've got ideas to keep you healthy, breaking health news, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Voice AM Health. That's at Voice AM Health. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with Kristen Harper. If you would like to connect with her, reach out via email to Kristen at KristenHarperSpeaks.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N at KristenHarperSpeaks.com. Now, back to tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated. We are back. This is Kristen Harper, radio show host. My show is Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated on voiceamerica.com on the Health and Wellness Channel. And today's episode is What is the Difference Between Trauma and PTSD? And I'm speaking with um, licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Tala Joharchi, and she's located in Los Angeles, California. And before the break, we were talking about attachment theory, uh, what is the difference between trauma and PTSD, and uh, I would love to talk to you about how attachment disruption is linked to addiction, can be linked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, so, so attachment disruption, um, you know, oftentimes when we're looking at the disruption as a, as a catalyst for what can, you know, how that can impact us in our lives it really shows up in the form of relationships, right? Like that's where we really see the impact of attachment disruption. Where addiction plays into that is when you, when you, when you look at relate, the term relationship, relationship is not limited to human, human beings, right? Like we can develop relationships with many different things in our lives. Therefore, if we can develop a relationship with many different things in our lives, we can also establish attachment to them. And so what we didn't get when we were small is often what we attempt to seek in relationships in our, in our future, right? So what I didn't get relationally when I was small is likely going to be what I get out of that attachment that I get, the attachment for the relationship that I have with alcohol, drugs, or an addictive behavior. So I, I think when you look at someone forming an addiction, they're forming that addiction based on the fact that the addiction itself forms a, there's a secure attachment to it. And when you think about secure attachment, you remember we're, t- we're looking at those qualities like reliability, um, trust, um, consistency, uh, safety. Those concepts are all needed in order for someone to form a secure attachment to something. So if someone becomes addicted to alcohol, alcohol gives them the false pretense that they have, you know, they develop a, what a false attachment, almost like a, it's not a real attachment. It's not a real secure attachment, but it's a believed 
secure attachment to that drug of choice or that addictive behavior. And the reason for that is because that substance is always reliable. It's always consistent. It's always available. It never lets that person down. It basically it basically fills all of the voids that were unmet or like within the attachment, the disruption that that the person experienced when they were so small gets met by this secure attachment that they develop with the substance or the drug of choice or addictive behavior later in life. And so that's been the correlation between attachment and addiction is that we tend to formulate secure attachments to our, our, you know, addictive behavior, which then gives us this, almost this false sense, like our needs are being met um, and that we've developed a, a safe relationship or a secure attachment to this, you know, um, behavior or, or substance of choice. But in reality, it is not that. And it, 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 makes, it, it makes sense to me because I, I feel like I was insecurely attached when I was young. And then in elementary school, my third grade teacher basically knew that I was going to have an eating disorder when I got older. So she already knew mm-hmm. back then when I was that young. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. Did she, was she aware of certain behaviors or, or did she observe you? In, in certain situations, was she able to pick up on anything in particular that made her believe that that would be something you would experience later in life? And I'm not sure, actually. And she basically uh, told one of my caregivers uh, that I was mm-hmm. going to have an eating disorder when I got older, but I don't know all the details. And then I was trying to reach out to her, like, because eventually I want to write a book on on eating disorders, you know, uh, mm-hmm. just based on my um, personal experience. And so I was, I was thinking it would be really cool to reach out to her and see if I could get a hold of her just to yeah. learn more, but I wasn't able to reach sure. her. So Yeah, it would be – that would be interesting to be able to interview her. I wonder if there were certain, um, you know, certain – things that she observed that made her feel, because when I look at, you know, eating disorders are a unique kind of offset of addictive um, behaviors or addiction. And, you know, in, in eating disorders, there's almost like a, there's also an element of control, like power and control that I've noticed clinically. And this is just in my own clinical experience, I want to say, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I noticed that underneath there's almost like the compulsion in, in the act of engaging in those specific behaviors r- r- provides some form of relief, right? There's a relief that is, that it's providing that individual, um, that almost like without, without engaging in that behavior, they're unable to achieve that relief. Uh, it fills that void um, and gives the person a sense of almost like a, a false sense of control. Um, and usually what I've noticed when I'm looking at trauma, that's an element of trauma, right? Like we, we are traumatized because we're powerless towards what we just witnessed or saw or experienced. Right. So true. Usually. So true about powerless. Yeah. Uh huh. 
So, yeah, power, so powerless, and then you talked about void too. And I like later yeah. on in life, I figured this all out. But I had, I believe, I had a limiting belief of I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. also, also with my eating disorder, I am fat. So, but I think this I am not good enough yeah. and powerless. I think I was a perfectionist as well. Yeah. I, there's this wonderful um, medical doctor. His name is Dr. Gabor Mate. He is one of the leading um, addiction um, experts and medical doctors. He has done so much work in addiction, and he's written many books and done many TED Talks on, on his understanding of addiction. And I couldn't um, support... I, I, I mean, I... I couldn't agree with his understanding and conceptualization of it any, any more than, I mean, like his understanding is very spot on and congruent with how I, how I understand the development and vulnerability to addiction, um, you know, develops. And he, he actually, he has not suffered, he has not experienced any addictions himself to substances. But he does explain um, in his book and then, of course, in his TED Talk that he recognizes and understands addiction from a perspective in that he was like a consu- in, in terms of like he was a consume he was addicted to consumerism and he was a workaholic and he really like helps you to understand. So he he talks about like the biology, the vulnerabilities of biology and how you know, when it comes to addiction, it's a biopsychosocial understanding. Like you have to know the person's whole story. You, you, you can't just, you know, treat someone for addiction based on a cookie cutter model. Um, and he is a firm believer that most substances or addictive behaviors are a form of attempting to eradicate pain some form of pain, right? Like if it makes sense. Alcohol, yeah. Alcohol, drugs, opiates, you know, they're all painkillers. And so he's not talking about just regular pain, you know, physical pain. He's talking about emotional pain. Exactly. And so he said, you want to know, you want to understand what is this, what is the person's emotional pain? That's the void. That's the void that they're trying to you know, Phil. And so he shares his story um, as an example. And he says, you know, I was, you know, born in Budapest, Hungary, um, right when the Nazis were invading Germany. And I was two months old and I would not stop crying. And my mom became very worried for me. And so she called my pediatrician and she asked the pediatrician, will you please come and see Gabor? Because he just won't stop crying. And the pediatrician said to the mother, I would be happy to come and see him, but I want you to know that all of my Jewish babies are crying right now. And he said, well, what does a two-month-old know about the Holocaust or genocide or war? Nothing. It knows nothing about that. But what it does know is that it's picking up on its mother's terror. Mm-hmm. It's picking up on its mother's sadness. It's picking up on its mother's fear. 
And so what does that baby then internalize? Well, my mom is never happy when she's around me, right? Uh And if my mom is never happy and she's always crying when she's around me, I must not be wanted. Uh Uh Right? So this is how we internalize these messages. It's, It's like, and so fascinating. I mean, it's, it's profound how, how this happens, but he internalizes that he's not wanted. So mm-hmm. what does he do as an adult to fill that void? He says mm-hmm. he became an, an important medical doctor because he said that if they didn't want me when I was small, they were going to need me when I was older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He filled the void by becoming a medical doctor. And so he mm-hmm. says, and this is how we pass things down intergenerationally. So he becomes a, an important medical doctor, and he is consumed with work 24-7. Wow. He is consumed with work and consumerism. He loved to buy, like, he, was, he, he talks about his addiction to consumerism and how he's done things just like an addict would, right? He would leave. He's done things. He's lied. He's... he's done things to go buy, buy, buy things and, and, you know, hide it from people. And then also he talks a lot about his work, work, um, you know, the fact that he was also a workaholic and he um, would come home and he would sit down and listen to music and lock himself in his room and work all night. And so his children got the same message that he got when he was small which is like if my father is always around me and he's always, you know, consumed with work and shopping, well, like he must not want me. And he goes, and this is how we pass it down. This is exactly how we unconsciously pass down these traumas intergenerationally. Um, So, you know, I find it that that too is a huge, you know, I'm really evaluating and assessing you know, what happened in this person's life? What has led them to the pain and then into their attachment to relieve themselves of that pain? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes and sense. It's like, yeah, it, it, it completely makes sense to me. And it's like more of a whole systems uh, approach, you know, looking at the... Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it exactly. makes sense. So, so we talked about addiction. I was just curious too. So, you actually work with clients that have eating disorders. I have, I have before. I cool. would, I would, yeah. I, I definitely have the background and the and the knowledge. Um, I just, I haven't worked specifically um, with anybody who has been, you know, suffering. You know, like outside of working in a residential treatment center, as it being co-occurring or dual diagnosis. Um, but outside of that, I haven't treated anyone specifically for an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, we have another break coming up here really soon, but, uh, so we talked about, uh, being insecurely attached and, uh, what other issues can show up later in life? We talked about addiction mm-hmm. and, and, but what else can show up later yeah. in life? From attachment disruption? Yes. Um, Sure, sure. So, again, I would say 
the focus would primarily be on relationships. So another area that I focus on in my work, um, in my practice is love addiction and codependency. And those are also two, two ways in which when we, you know, like attachment can really influence the development of what they call love addiction or codependent codependency. Um, and again, that's all based in relationships. Um, you know, love addiction is, the addiction to uh, relationships, being finding love, being loved, uh, being wanted, being chosen, um, and usually people tend to be attracted to dynamics that are familiar for them. So oftentimes, if I have, for example, if I identify with an anxious, ambivalent attachment, I will unconsciously find myself relationally in relationships, whether romantic or just platonic, that resemble that same kind of dance almost, right? So whatever that dance was that I experienced as a child, so ambivalent attachment usually occurs when a parent or caregiver is not always consistent, right? So mm-hmm. if, a, if I suffered from a parent, for example, who had their own mental illness, right, and it was not medicated or they were not, um, they were not, um, like, you know, they, they weren't taking care of themselves regularly and, you know, um, maybe they weren't med compliant or they weren't taking their medications um, they would have a tendency to have ambivalent, like they would show up ambivalently, meaning like if I had a mother who had borderline personality disorder, um, I would never know what version of my mom I might get that day, right? Or a mother who has bipolar disorder and maybe forgot to take her medication um, one day could show up in a way that they normally wouldn't if they were medicated, So that like back and forth, not ever knowing, having to always walk on eggshells, um, the tug-pull dynamic is often what the ambivalent attachment tends to seek when it comes to relationships. Because what, what they're essentially trying to do, why we're even attracted to something that, an attachment style that didn't serve us, is because there's an unconscious part of us that is trying to resolve it. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I seek a partner that resembles a familiar attachment, my attempt at trying to, you know, be with that person or wanting to be with that person is to resolve what was unresolved mm-hmm. in my childhood or in my, in my, with my, with my primary caregivers. So I see it. I see the influence of attachment really show up when it comes to relationships and how, you know, how we form relationships moving forward in our lives. So love addiction and uh, they, you know, the, the counter to love addiction is love addiction. And then there's the love avoidant and that is all based in attachment, right? Because the avoidant has avoidant attachment and the, Love addict likely has ambivalent attachment and they are, they do this dance with one another in terms of how they show up in the relationship 
that keeps them in this unhealthy kind of toxic dynamic and loop um, that doesn't serve either of them and oftentimes ends up being, um, you know, a relationship, an unhealthy relationship. Um, And so that's one way it can show up relationally. And then the other end of that is codependency. So neglecting my own or neglecting myself in service of someone else. Um, so again, I would say like that's an, those are two other ways that I've seen the impact of attachment disruption um, in adulthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find this all to be so interesting and uh, you explain everything so well. Just everything makes sense to me. And uh, so we have one break here that we need to go to and then when we come back I would like to talk about which I thought I thought this was really interesting about attachment disruption is highly correlated with shame so we'll talk about that after break please stay tuned your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness Kristen Harper is a health and wellness speaker and founder of Perfect Health Consulting Services. She inspires people all over the world to keep healthy, happy, and motivated. Get a virtual health coaching or hair mineral analysis package at perfecthealthconsultingservices.com to help you get healthy and stay healthy. Also, go to kristenharperspeaks.com to hire Kristen Harper, a health and wellness speaker, for one of your events. Be sure to visit both of Kristen's websites, perfecthealthconsultingservices.com and K-R-I-S-T-E-N, harperspeaks.com. Now is the time to take your health to the next level and become the best version of yourself. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. You're listening to Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated with Kristen Harper. If you would like to connect with her, reach out via email to Kristen at kristenharperspeaks.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-E-N at kristenharperspeaks.com. Now... Back to tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated. Hi, this is Kristen Harper, radio show host. My show is Tips to Keep You Healthy, Happy, and Motivated on voiceamerica.com on the Health and Wellness Channel. Today's episode is What is the Difference Between Trauma and PTSD? And uh, we talked about a lot today. It was it's a really good interview. And uh, I think we have about uh five minutes or less, a few minutes left, and I just thought this would be great to just kind of wrap things up, is talking about attachment disruption is highly correlated with shame. If you could talk about this, doctor, and then also um, if you could let my listeners know how they can reach you if they'd like to uh, book an appointment with you. Sure, sure, absolutely. So um, 
just briefly, the correlation between attachment disruption and shame, um, I, I think it, earlier in our conversation, we spoke, you had mentioned actually the limiting beliefs. Um, that is, is, so the limiting beliefs are derived or developed from our experiences. And I, I, earlier when I was sharing with you too that the, the story of how the medical doctor developed an internalized sense of not being wanted. That yes. was the first, that was the first experience of him developing that limiting belief um, in his life. And that stemmed from the attachment that he had with his mother, right? So the way in which his mother was presenting and showing up, and, and again, it was not her intention. She was going through her own trauma and not emotionally attuned and available to her son, um, led to her son developing a limiting belief about himself that led to shame, and that shame then is the pain that we attempt to eradicate when we use or engage in addictive behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually glad we uh, talked about this today because I don't think we've talked about shame on my show before. So this is good. Yeah, and there's a and shame is known. I mean, yeah, it's its own segment. I feel like, but there's been a lot of research done on shame um, by a. Uh, by Brene Brown, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Brene Brown. She's pretty, um, she's pretty famous. She, she's the, she's known as the shame researcher, um, and she's done a lot of work to really identify how shame is developed and how we can eradicate shame. Because ultimately, when we hold shame, um, it's it, it, it's inevitably it's toxic, and it doesn't allow us to reach our highest potential, or live fulfilling lives. So what she found was that the antidote to shame was vulnerability. And the more that we are vulnerable and the more that we are, um, you know, transparent and, and expressive of what we have gone through and experienced, the, le- the, the less shame right? Like the less shame we hold and the more connected, we, then, then it allows us to be connected and connect with other people um, rather than holding on to that shame and letting it destroy us. And so um, vulnerability is key to eradicating shame. Um, and I feel like that is one way, um, you know, again, one way attachment is correlated with shame, but Shame is something that is not adaptive. It doesn't allow us, when we, when we hold on to it, it doesn't allow us to move forward in our lives. But guilt, right? Like, the, the, you know, the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is, you know, um, I've done something bad, and shame is I am bad, right? Mm. Like, if I can feel guilty, that is it's adaptive in nature because I can do something about it. There's an action. There's a corrective measure I can take to repair that guilt, but there's nothing I can do to repair shame. Wow. This is um, amazing. Uh, I 
and we have, I, I have to let you go here, and I just want to uh, yeah. thank you for coming on. You are a wealth of knowledge, and I really appreciate you helping people, making a difference in this world. And would you be able to let my listeners know how they can reach out to you if, the, if they'd like to book an appointment yeah. with you? Absolutely. Um, so I have a website on psychology today. And if you were to just go to psychologytoday.com and put my name in the search engine, I would, my information would pop up and you would be able to either email me or reach me um, by phone contact. Um, I can be reached at tjoharchi. So it's T-J-O-H-A-R. T as in Tom, C as in cat, H-I at gmail.com or by phone at 310-869-4721. Well, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. It was a pleasure to be a part of this, and I look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Yes, I'd love you to um, come back on. Uh, take care. I would love that. Thanks, Kristen. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so uh, I want to move on now and just give you some thoughts here and some updates. Um, I brought up earlier that I was, I feel I was insecurely attached from my first years of life, um, which I feel uh, led to an addiction later on in life. I actually had an eating disorder, which started when I was uh, 18 years old. I talked about my elementary school teacher. And um, also, I just want to let you know that I will be giving a speech for an online event. It's called Get Your Mojo Back, and it's getyourmojoback.me. That's where you can go to sign up. So it's getyourmojoback.me. And you just enter your name and email, and you can sign up. It's absolutely free. It starts February 18th. It will last for nine days, and it's an event to reclaim your health, elevate your energy, and live a life you love. There will be many speakers, including myself, and there's been speakers that have been featured in Natural Health, CBS, ABC, NBC, Netflix, Mind Body Green. And I will be speaking on, I will be giving a speech on my top recommendations to overcome PTSD, trauma, and narcissistic abuse. And uh, some of the, uh, I talk about, uh, as far as PTSD, uh, one of my favorite, uh, my top recommendations is brainwave entrainment, but I'm not going to tell you all the details because I really would like you to participate in this event, sign up, you'll be able to watch my speech and these, and there'll be other speakers there so you can uh, watch their speeches as well. And then also, if you could please go to my radio show page on the right hand side you will see all of my past episodes and there is one that I had a past episode on February 9th of 2021 and it's titled Gaza Suffering at the Open Air Prison and Government Destroys Health. I encourage you to listen to that episode and I interviewed a Palestinian that is located at the Gaza Strip and the Palestinians there are suffering. 
Uh, there's limited food on drinkable water. There are uh, Palestinians that are they're ending up with kidney stones because of this terrible water. They have limited hours of electricity. They're freezing cold at night. There's stress, depression, suicides, high unemployment, issues with getting medical help. Um, they're starving. There's a they're located in a, a war zone. There's poverty. Money's being stolen. We talked about that as well. So, the money donations is are not getting to the people in Gaza. And I, I set up a GoFundMe uh, page where you can make a donation. We'd really appreciate it because I want to get this money to the people in Gaza that need it. And the problem is these donations, the money is not getting to the people at the Gaza Strip. It's being stolen. So um, I work closely as far as uh, I work closely with these uh, Gaza activists so we can get the money directly to the Palestinians at the Gaza Strip. So you can go to GoFundMe.com forward slash F forward slash Palestinians dash A-R-E dash suffering dash at dash the dash Gaza, which is G-A-Z-A dash strip. Or you can just go to GoFundMe.com. And there's a search bar at the very top and just type in Palestinians are suffering at the Gaza Strip. You will see my page and it actually shows Tempe, Arizona. You'll see a video that you can watch that, but we'd really appreciate it. And my, my heart is broken for these people because I feel like everyone in the world should have access to food, water, a warm place to live, nutritional supplements. And so you will make a huge, huge difference in their lives. And I have two websites, perfecthealthconsultingservices.com. I offer hair analysis, quantum biofeedback, nest health, and brainwave entrainment. And then my speaking website, I'm a health and wellness speaker, kristenharperspeaks.com, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, harperspeaks.com. You can go there to see uh, testimonials of my speeches. You can see some clips of, you know, of my speeches there as well. And then if you could please give this show a five stars on iTunes. When you go to my radio show page on the right-hand side, you will see that uh, my show is also on Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Music. And if you'd like to be a sponsor of the show, please send me an email to Kristen at kristenharperspeaks.com, and I can send you a packet and it will benefit your business if you sponsor my show. And I'd really, really appreciate it because we reach a lot of people on the network. So uh, wishing everyone a healthy and happy week. Take care. Thank you for being a part of the show this week. Tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper can be heard live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Kristen can't wait to speak again next week.